Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints Podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation, like this podcast, which we hope you will subscribe to. We also have a website at leadingsaints.org with thousands of incredible articles all about leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. We host virtual summits, live events, and also have a weekly newsletter to keep you up to date on all things happening with Leading Saints. Visit leadingsaints.org for more information. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Frankum. Before we jump into this episode, uh, we want to recognize that the doctrine of Mother in Heaven is a very sensitive topic for many individuals in our faith community. Many will come to this episode seeking hope and encouragement in their eternal faith journey, especially women. Both myself and the interviewee intended this discussion to be hopeful and encouraging. We also recognize that some women have felt marginalized and diminished in our religious community over the years and might interpret some of this discussion, especially around the discussion of the role of Mother in Heaven, as short-sighted or diminishing. Please know, this was not our intention. Since we have so little revelation around this topic, it can only be discussed with speculation. Please listen with an open heart as we strive to bring more discussion to the important doctrinal topic of Mother in Heaven. Today I'm in West Valley City, my hometown, with another homeboy here, Scott Layton. How are you, Scott? I'm fantastic. Now, we are both alumni of uh, Granger High School. We are. You were 1999 and I was 2000. Yep. And uh, we turned out great. We're not in federal prison. We're still alive. (laughs) We never joined a gang, right? So West Valley gets a bad rap, am I right? It gets a really bad rap. Yeah. And you're still here. Still here. Yeah. And uh, was that the plan? I mean, did you marry a West Valley girl or what? No. I married a West Jordan girl and- in looking at homes and that, we settled more on the west side of West Valley, and so we live in hunter boundaries now. Oh, boy. I have to tell all the youth in my ward that we can still be friends. Yeah. I went nice. to Granger, you go to Hunter, <laughs> we can still be friends. Nice. And you're a, you're a seminary teacher. Yes. So that uh, divides your allegiances once again. Right? Again. And how long have you been teaching seminary? 10 years. Nice. Dream job? I mean- Dream job. It's phenomenal. I always tell I tell people that I get paid to hang out with teenagers. Yeah. So, and, and that's for some people and not for other people, right. but that's all right. There's a guy I talked to years ago. He said he can't think of a fate worse than hell than to have to be with teenagers all day. Yeah. Well, hey, the, I mean, this is it was it's sort of cliche to say, you know, this is a great generation because the up and coming, it's just always inspiring it, to see phenomenal who's going to be, uh, you know, run, running this church and this culture, this community we live in. And it's inspiring. We're in good hands. Yeah. Cool. So, and recently released as Bishop, right? Yes. How was that? Phenomenal. Right. So yeah. the the analogy that we've always used, uh, somebody used this once with me that 
Uh, he compared being a bishop to going to Disneyland. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he said, how, like, when you go to Disneyland, what do you spend 80% of your time doing? Uh, and I was like, walking and eating? I don't know. <laughs> standing in line. Oh, yeah, standing in line. And he goes, yeah. it's boring, right? And it's just hot and muggy and there's people around you. And, but why is it that we always want to go back? The, the rights, right? The 20%. The 20, yeah. Uh-huh. He said, being a bishop is 80% standing in line. 20% blessing people. <laughs> and he said, you want to come back every time. Yeah, for sure. So the 80% it, it, from now being released and looking back on it, it's soul stretching. Yeah, for sure. Some good stuff and, and it's hard and you learn lessons and you make mistakes and you try your best to recover from them and repent. And Yeah. but Do you feel, I mean, being a full-time serenity teacher and, and, and being a bishop, do you feel like you just never get a break? I mean- Never. Yeah. You're just always in the tie yep. and you're always- <laughs> yep. Yeah. In fact, I had a student the other day, I bumped into at a, at a grocery store and they're like, wait, you have normal clothes? <laughs> I'm like, yes. What did you think? We sleep in our white shirt and tie? Nice. Mm, maybe we do. Right. Yeah. It's sort of when you see a general authority in, in a, you know, a polo shirt or right. something like, whoa, wow, that, you are human. doesn't look normal. Right. So this is going to be an interesting discussion. And you, so you live in the stake of my, of my cousin and you went to his ward and gave a fifth Sunday lesson all about uh, Mother in Heaven. Correct. And I mean, who couldn't just go give a, a fifth Sunday about <laughs> Mother in Heaven? So what, with, your, with your time in, uh, with seminary, what's the, what's the history of you maybe putting information together about uh, Mother in Heaven and, and the doctrines That's there? That's a great question. So a few years ago, I was asked by some, some leaders within, the, within seminaries and institutes to put together a presentation on one of the gospel topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was the topic that I'd been assigned and, and instantly had that thought of, there's nothing. You want me to talk on this when there's absolutely nothing out there? <laughs> and so I started it and initially just started with the gospel topics essay. And part of my research methodology, I just looked at it and said, okay, I'm going to start with the footnotes and then I'm going to use the footnotes from those and just kind of kept expanding and expanding and realized the longer I kept studying we know far more than any of us are, are willing to admit. Hmm. We just don't talk about it. Yeah. And so you're preparing this information for what exactly? Not, not necessarily to teach the kids. No, this was more just to provide good information for the teachers. Okay. So that they could feel confident if somebody brought questions to them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, how long did, would you say that? Stu- I mean, not that you're, you've concluded the study by any means, but right. you're always learning. But uh, I, that? that initial study phase, I probably about a month and a half. Mm-hmm four or five hours, Monday to Friday of just looking at information, trying to process what was there, trying to sort it into some sort of usable format. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's some remarkable things. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's sort of my, you know, it's, it's sort of the the hip thing to do these days with, with a podcast, you know, especially one related to the church, like, yeah, let's talk about mother in heaven. Right. And, and it can, you can default to, well, we don't know much or it seems speculative, but, and sometimes I worry that, you know, there seems to be this movement, like I'm working on this manuscript of a book I'm writing and various editors come back with these comments of where I've put heavenly father. They say, oh, well, in there put heavenly parents. Yes. I'm like, okay, like some, some context that makes sense. Others, I'm like, well, I don't necessarily know if that would be completely appropriate just as far as the context in which I'm saying, because sometimes we think like, Okay, we know, I think President Hinckley said we shouldn't pray to Mother in Heaven. Correct. But we sometimes conflate these two eternal beings in ways of like, the ways that are maybe a little more passive of, of worship. And we don't know where 
to cross the line. I don't know where to cross the line. So sometimes I worry like, are we conflating their roles too much? And is it becoming just because it's more, maybe more interesting to talk about, it's becoming more open to it. Right. And so maybe by the end of our discussion, you'll be able to help us maybe where to draw that line. I don't know. Or No, that's a phenomenal question. Maybe there is not a line to draw from. So where do we begin to lay a foundation with this, with this topic? So where I started all of my research, there's a, in the October, 2013 general conference, I, president Dallin H. Oaks in a talk entitled No Other Gods, he said this, he said, our theology begins with heavenly parents and our highest aspiration is to attain the fullness of eternal exaltation. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I was reading that and, and just kind of had this moment where I'm like, oh my heavens, our theology, everything that we believe, everything that we are as Latter-day Saints begins with this foundation of heavenly parents. Uh, that then shaped everything that I studied. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting you you brought up this idea that we're kind of, do we use Heavenly Father? Do we use Heavenly Parents? And right. where is that line? There's this unwritten, I don't even know what to call it, but there's this unwritten expectation of, well, if Heavenly Mother exists, why don't we talk about her? Right. And I think we all kind of shy away from that question a little bit. Anytime that I've done this presentation or, or talked with individuals, I'll ask them that question. I say, give me your number one reason you've ever heard for why we don't talk about her. Yeah, typically they say it's uh, it's too sacred. It's too sacred. Yeah, Heavenly and Father's it, trying to protect right, her. There, right, he had this. We're reading his mind. He had this intention of protecting her. Right. Yeah. So I, one of the things that I read is a uh, article from one of the uh, BYU women's conferences, uh, 1991. The author of this was uh, Catherine Schertz. She said this. She said, "I remember a primary class in which someone asked the teacher." If we have a a mother in heaven, how can we never hear about her? The teachers reply that God was protecting her name from the kinds of slander that human beings direct towards the names of the Father and the Son. It was a clever reply, and at the time, we all thought it was quite satisfying. Yeah. And I think we all read that and we go, yes, 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 yes. That's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Because it seems sweet and like something a great husband would do. Something a husband would do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She finishes that paragraph by saying, none of us realized then that this answer described a lady not quite up to taking care of herself in a tough world, an image drawn purely from certain human conventions and not from divine reality. Hmm. And I'll usually pause there and say, okay, now let's think about this. Do you believe that a divine goddess who possesses all powers, all attributes, all perfections needs to be protected from the big bad humans on earth? (laughs) Us mortals. Right. With Facebook. <laughs> and it, I, I love that last line that it's it's an image drawn purely from certain human conventions right. and not divine reality. Yeah. And this is sort of a, this habit we have in, you know, in its human nature. We try and put everything in a box or give purpose or reason for why things are as Correct. they are, when in reality, we just simply don't know a lot of the time. Correct. Yeah. We like that that feeling that comes from it. Like, yeah, that feels good to me. And but we never actually stop and check that against reality. Yeah. And yeah. does that match the understanding that we have of what a divine God and goddess would be? Yeah. So it's safe to say we can set that idea aside. And I think that's becoming more, more well-known of like, that's not really, that's not doctrine or it's, nobody really knows that. That's maybe just some speculation that's Correct. made it to the, the surface over decades of trying and to now understand it's, this. it's become tradition. Right. Yeah. Strong tradition. Strong tradition. That's a good yeah. way to word that. So where do we go from here then? If we know it's not because God is protecting her. Yeah. Uh, so that, that then begs the question, then why don't we talk about her? 
And I would say there's just not a lot of information to talk about, you right. know, right? And there's far more than we realize. So it brought me back to that quote that I started yeah. with, that if our theology begins with heavenly parents, well, then why aren't we talking about it? There's got to be some other reason, something else that we haven't processed yet. And as we, as we dive into this, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get to the point where I can then look at you and say, does it now make sense? Right, right. Does it make sense as to why we don't? And, and it led me on an interesting study, and maybe I'll, I'll reference this right now. I wanted to find out, okay, how much do we talk about her? So I used a, a corpus that I had available, available to me at the time, and I went and word searched General Conference all the way back to Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. How many times are we using the term Heavenly Mother, Mother in Heaven, uh, Mother God, Godmother, God the Mother, like those kind of search terms. Our peak was in the 1970s, and it was nine references from 1970 to 1979. Wow, that was the peak. That's not e- the peak. Not even double digits. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So it seems to support that idea. Right. We're not talking about her. Yeah. So I kept playing with it, kept playing with it. A couple days later, I came back and said, I'm missing something. What am I missing? What, what have I not processed in this? And it was that quote from President Oaks. Our theology begins with heavenly parents. And so I went back and added heavenly parents into the search term. Now, in the 1970s, when we hit our peak, if I add heavenly parents into it, we hit 19. Hmm. In the 70s. In the 70s. Yeah. Everywhere else, we're still single digits until I got to the 2010s. In 2010, the term heavenly parents was used 67 times in 10 years. And these are are all general conference? All general conference. They're talking about her. We're just not hearing it. Yeah. We're expecting the term heavenly mother when the general authorities of the church are looking at us and saying heavenly parents. Yeah. So at that point, I realized, okay, if I take everything that I understand about heavenly father, I can now apply that on the other side. Yeah. And I now understand her and her powers and capabilities and perfections. Yeah. Because they're equal. One's not above the other. So that kind of started this whole process of realizing, wow, we do know a lot. Yeah. We just have to open our minds a little bit and look at the different term that's being used that we now have the ability to become like our heavenly parents. Yeah. And I wonder if there's also, you know, going back to reasons we don't talk about her is I think there's this this constant effort of sort of trying to fit in the Christian club, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. No, no, we're Christians. You, no, you're not Christian. No, we are. Like we believe in Jesus and all these things. And then then we roll in. And by the way, we believe in Heavenly Mother. And and everybody, wait everybody, a minute, time out. Just, like, yep, we're out. Right. And so I have to wonder maybe just that that Protestant background we that some of our roots are in. It's just like there wasn't there was never really a tradition to fit that doctrine in there. And so it never it was easier just maybe to pretend it wasn't. You know, that doctrine wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, B.H. Roberts, one of the early church historians uh, in in the Millennial Star, or long, long time ago, this was referenced. Uh, but really, in essence, he challenged Christianity to come up with a doctrine that nobilized women, like our doctrine of a mother in heaven. Mm-hmm. And he'll go on and conclude, and, he, and he'll, say, uh, he'll say this. Uh, to offer a doctrine that presents a conception of the nobility of woman and of motherhood and of wifehood, placing her side by side with the divine father, as does our doctrine of heavenly mother. Hmm. And he'll conclude they can't do it. They can't do it. Yeah. They believe in this eternal father. 
but they then have to stop short and say, but we're going to reject this idea of the nobility of womanhood. Yeah. So anytime that I'm talking with the youth about this, anytime that I'm with young women in particular, and I start talking about this idea, I find a lot of young women have this misconception that their eternal identity and purpose is to become like a man. Hmm. Because the way that we word it, we look at these young women and say, if you keep the commandments, if you receive all the ordinances, you do all of these things, you'll receive all that the father has. And it creates this, this misnomer in their brain that I'm going to become like a man. And that's just not true. Yeah. Or it's only reserved for my husband and I'm sort of, I'm in the household, I'm the I guess. secondary, yeah, but, like I know. just get tagged along with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm driving the minivan in heaven or something. I, right. But, you know, what, but no, the, the, the same opportunities and blessings and, and exaltation is available there for their women as much as men. And, that, and then the, that again shows the importance of having that doctrine and highlighting it and being Correct. aware of it. Right. Correct. Yeah. All right. So what's the next? So now go back to what he said as far as the, what's the phrasing he used as far as like challenging other churches to, to. So here's what he said. I challenged the rest of Christianity to offer a doctrine that presents a conception of the nobility of woman and of motherhood and of wifehood. Yeah. Placing her side by side with the divine father. Okay. And so as I'm hearing all these things, like I'm, I'm feeling more and more like this permission of like no this is this isn't something that's just a acute doctrine or something that exists but it's something that should be highlighted it is fundamental yeah if our theology begins with the idea of heavenly parents then every commandment every doctrine every ordinance everything that we are has to be within the context of a divine father and a divine mother mm-hmm. it's the foundation of our theology yeah yeah all right so what what's the next step where do we go from here so let, let's dive into the gospel topics essay. Okay. There's some really powerful statements in there that as I played with this, I started to realize, oh man, there's some powerful things here. So number one thing that I'll point out in the gospel topics essay, I, it says this, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches that all human beings, male and female, are beloved spirit children of heavenly parents a heavenly father, and a heavenly mother. And then this, and I think this is key. This understanding is rooted in scriptural and prophetic teachings about the nature of God, our relationship to deity, and the godly potential of men and women. Hmm. Words matter to me. And I love that this starts by saying that this idea, this doctrine, is not just something that we talk about, but that it's rooted in scripture. Hmm. So then the question is going to be posed. Where, where in scripture. Yeah. <laughs> I, they cite at the bottom of this five scriptures that teach the existence of a heavenly mother. So if you look in the notes of, of that, you're going to run into in Genesis, Moses, Romans, Psalms, and in the Doctrine and Covenants. And I love that they're starting us by saying, here's where it's at. Now, you kind of have to read it a little bit and, and understand some of the context behind it. For instance, in Genesis, when it talks about us being made in the image of God. Yeah. The Hebrew the word there, that you right? use is plural. Yeah. Male and female. So if we're created in the image of a plural God, men were created in the image of heavenly father and women were created in the image of heavenly mother. Mm-hmm. And so as you read that, you have to have that lens of the plurality here, that there's a divine father and a divine mother who were working together. Mm-hmm. For the salvation of their children, yeah, and and I would see as I've heard other like Christian denominations explain that they typically see it in the context of 
the father and the son type of thing. Like Correct. when they say we, you know, make them in our image type of thing. But uh, very likely, I mean, they're talking about the the male and female, right? In the book of Moses, we learn that there was a spiritual creation mm. and then a physical creation. Right. And so I like to look at that and say, well, in the spiritual creation, you have the divine parents working together to mm-hmm. create the ideal. And then in the physical creation, you have the father and the son working together to bring it into reality. Yeah. So if, we, if we're only looking at the physical creation, you're right, father and son. But we can't forget that spiritual creation at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so it's like, it's like, like the, the, where my mind goes is like the roles of these of deity, both male and female, that we have such a strong tradition of the role of our father in heaven in our life. Yes. And then the role of the son, the only begotten son as our savior. And so sometimes I, I wonder if it's, and this is, this is probably a flawed analogy. I realize that, but this is how I'm trying to process my mind. Like when I served as bishop, I obviously had a wife. Now we were a couple, but our roles, as far as the word was concerned, was very different. Correct. Women couldn't go to my wife and, and, you know, uh, confess sin or activate. Right. They those. couldn't access right. the keys of repentance. Absolutely right. Yes. And so I often wonder if it's sort of like that, where, where it's like, okay, we re- recognize there's a couple there, but the roles are, are very different. And then there's you know doctrine of you know the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and you know never mention of the, the Heavenly Mother and those things. And so that's where I sort of am not sure where to draw lines as far as like, what's the role here. You know, if if I'm trying to be, or if my daughters are trying to become like our Heavenly Mother. How do they access that? Is it mainly just to be so they can relate to her and then turn to the Savior? Or, you know, and that, that sort of thing. That's sort of where it yeah. gets money there. Is, is that role in their purpose? Phenomenal, phenomenal question. Uh, in the Gospel Topics essay, it says, as with many other truths of the Gospel, our present knowledge about a mother in heaven is limited, nevertheless. And that's a critical word there. We have been given sufficient knowledge to appreciate the sacredness of this doctrine and to comprehend the divine pattern established for us as children of heavenly parents. So the, we have to start by looking at this and saying, okay, what's the divine pattern? Mm-hmm. Now, in all of my studies, as I started to play with this, that pattern, well, multiple patterns exposed themselves. The one that you're asking about is this pattern of what does that mean for daughters? What does right. that mean for the women of the church? And what's their potential? And, and how do we define these roles? Yeah. Uh, President Harold B. Lee, he says, we forget that we have a heavenly father and a heavenly mother who are even more concerned probably than our earthly father and mother, and that influences from beyond are constantly working to try to help us when we do all we can. Mm. So I don't think it's this idea that she is just not involved. Yeah, there's definitely an influence there, right? A major influence, more so than yeah. your earthly mother. Mm. Yeah. We have to take a second and just process yeah, just, that idea. Sit with you, that for a minute. Like, yeah, okay. You just let yeah. that settle. Yeah. Uh, one question that I always pose here, and, and I think this is funny because, again, just going off of the, the good feelings, we like to talk a lot about that when we, when we die, we get to the other side, oh, I can't wait to give Jesus a hug yeah. and have him wrap his arms around us. And I, I always just pause and say, okay, guys, wait. You ever seen a missionary come home? Yeah. Who gets hug number one? Yeah, it's the mom. Every time. And what happens if you get in the way of that hug? You'll get an elbow or trampled or... <laughs> Who do you think gets hug number one when we get back? Uh, Heavenly Mother. Yeah. It just makes sense mm-hmm. that hug number one would be mom, that she is more concerned about us than our earthly mother is. Yeah. And that she still has influence. She still has power. 
she's still working, but now we have to address the division of responsibilities, the division of roles. Right. So, so, if, so we've uh, uh, outlined here that there is an influence happening. Yes. Now, the mechanics of how that influence works, not totally sure. We're still limited right. in that information. And I want to sort of sit with that in a minute, just the, because sometimes I'll hear individuals, especially women, and, you know, I think it's beautiful that we have this doctrine that women can turn to and, and find relation to divine you yes. know, through it, right? It's beautiful. But sometimes it, then it goes on, and I know that, you know, leaders are faced with these circumstances where it's like, no, I felt my heavenly mother come and comfort me. And it's like, well, you know, that could be the Holy Ghost as well. Like, you know, it just becomes muddy. And then it sort of feels like this, these doctrines get carried away a little bit. And and again, I I wouldn't say a leader needs to step in and be like, no, you can't think that way. It wasn't that right. But just, it, it's, it's intriguing to me yeah. to hear some of these things like, well, I don't know if that's her role per se, but maybe, you know, who knows? And so that influences, though we know it's there, maybe we don't know the mechanics of it. The caution I usually gave when I heard individuals use that phrase of, I just, I felt Heavenly Mother come and comfort. If that's what you felt, I don't get to question that. Yeah. Right. But what a sacred moment. And I would be very careful with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just, I wouldn't float that out in front of a whole ward. I wouldn't float that out in front of it. That would be something that I would keep and treasure in my own heart. Yeah. And I think that's sort of where... I, I that where it just gets hard to understand is because in that moment, if you feel like your heavenly mother is comforting you, it's so easy to then turn and pray to that heavenly mother Correct. and say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. You know, would you help me with this? Right. And then again, well, I don't know if we're supposed to do that. And, again, and this, these are, these are messy things. I don't want to be like, there's a right way to do this the wrong way, but. Well, when it comes to prayer, there is a right way and a yeah. wrong way. And prophets have been very clear that we, although we can seek a relationship with heavenly mother, we do not pray to her. Mm-hmm. That the pattern of prayer as taught in scripture by the Savior himself is that we pray to the Father. Mm-hmm. That's how he prayed. That's the pattern that we've been given. So that when there is a right and wrong, and, and we do need to speak up if somebody begins to pray to Heavenly Mother. Yeah, That's one that President Hinckley was super clear on. In fact, in his, let me see if I can find it here really quick. Gordon B. Hinckley right here. So President Hinckley teaches, so this is the October 1991 General Conference. He was speaking in women's session about this idea uh, and was correcting the idea of we don't pray to Heavenly Mother. But he did say this. He says, logic and reason would certainly suggest that if we have a father in heaven, we have a mother in heaven. That doctrine rests well with me. Hmm. And I hope you can hear that in his voice where he's just like, that just rests well with me. Right. But I think there's this powerful moment that just because we don't pray to her doesn't devalue her. Right. We don't pray to Jesus Christ, but yet we still have a relationship Mm -hmm. with him. Right. Right. So I don't know that praying to someone creates the relationship. Mm -hmm. Or limits limits or uh, perpetuates the influence as well. Correct. Yeah. So I think that's a a powerful moment when we have to realize, no, we pray to the Father, but yet we still seek a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't pray to him. And we don't complain about that one. Yeah. And so we don't pray to the Father. So there's influence there, but could we say that we are comforted by Heavenly Mother? Because that's sort of the role of the comforter, right? The, the Logic Ghost, and right? reason would suggest, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> now, how does that work? And this is where we start having to be very careful that we don't take away the role of the Holy Ghost uh-huh. as the agent of the atonement and as, as the comforter. And there's, a, there's another figure in the eternities that we really don't fully understand the mechanics of, of how that works and why. And 
the Trinity. And so our faith allows us to continue to move forward, even though we don't fully understand. Absolutely. All right. Cool. What next? Let's stay on this this topic of of roles really quick. Yeah. Uh, Because I think this is where, if we can flesh out this idea of, okay, so what's the role? Then we have this powerful moment where we can see the beauty of the divine plan. Mm-hmm. I following the pattern. If we, if we look at the way that prophets and apostles talk about earthly mothers and what their divine role is, we can then start to infer back to the relationship between heavenly Father and heavenly Mother, and how do we split that role, and what do they do, and what are they responsible for? I'm glad you brought up this idea of of when you were serving as bishop that you still had a wife, right? So the question that I would pose is this, when you were sitting in, in your office and you were counseling with a member, they were there present with you in that moment. Did that in any way, shape, or form devalue, diminish, or neglect the role that your wife was playing at home? Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. It was much different as she's watching Little Mermaid for the fourth time, but right. you know, <laughs> Yeah. So we run into this moment where there's just a division of responsibility. Yeah. So President Ezra Taft Benson teaches, a mother's role is also God-ordained. Mothers are to conceive, bear, nourish, love, and train. They are to be helpmates and are to counsel with their husbands. And I love this part right here. He says, there is no inequality between the sexes in God's plan. It is a matter of division of responsibility. When parents in compassion or in companionship, love, and unity fulfill their heaven-imposed responsibility, and children respond with love and obedience, great joy is the result. This one quote unlocked for me why we don't talk about her. Hmm. It's a division of responsibility. Dad's at work, mom's at home. I think we forget sometimes that pre-mortal existence, there's still children there. Mm -hmm. So who's taking care of them? Mm -hmm. I believe and would propose not as doctrine, but as a, a conclusion that I would draw personal here, Mom's home with the children. She's still training and rearing and teaching them about mortality while dad's at work. Yeah. And again, it's not that we know that, but it's as you sit with it, you sort of see like, oh, there's actually a lot, a, of, logical there's a lot of moving parts to this, this eternity that which we're trying to create here. Right. right? And, and uh, different roles and, and needs that way. Yeah. So could there be a moment, and again, hypothesizing here. Could there be a moment that the children in pre-mortal existence are looking at mom and saying, how come we never talk about dad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. dad's at work right now, okay? Mm-hmm. And then we're on this side looking and saying, how come we never talk about mom? Mm. Mom's home with the other kids. So we're just in, we're in a different phase of the plan where we had a mother who was getting us ready and a father who's ready to bring us back so that when we receive our exaltation and we become like them, we then dwell with both of them for eternity. Yeah. Yeah. It's a division of responsibility rather than just it's hush hush we can't talk about it. Right. And that, that brings a lot of comfort because it is I think you know again I'm not a woman so I don't understand completely but a lot of women can feel like man I I desire this connection with the with the female divine and I'm just not feel like I'm getting it in this structure but to just know like well there's a larger picture here and maybe there's more opportunity after this life or maybe we had more opportunity before this life that we'll remember at some point and it'll, that'll feed our heart at that moment. But for now, we're in this stage of eternity, in the eternity. And this is sort of where we're developing and, you know, becoming sanctified through this relationship with our father in heaven at the moment. Correct. I like to look at it as a, as a partnership that we're in 
where the objective for women, the objective for men is to bring everyone back to the presence of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Different responsibilities, though, to make that happen. Yeah. So on one side, the role that women play, and again, I've got quotes and quotes and quotes that you can look through on the, on the role that women play as they conceive, bear, nourish, love, train. They're, they've been given the power to bear and to become co-creators with God. So I like to look at it and say part of their responsibility is to bring mortality, mm-hmm. which is essential to becoming like a god or a goddess. The priesthood then steps in after that to redeem from this fallen world. You can't have one without the other. If I'm not born into mortality, I can't be redeemed from it. And so part of the responsibility is to bring children in and then to bring them back. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a separation of responsibilities of who gets to do that. Yeah. So another way to look at it or speculate about it is maybe our mother in heaven is more involved in that role of bringing us into mortality. And then our father in heaven and the saviors focus on bringing us out of mortality and exalting us out of mortality. I love that. Yeah. There's a, a painting that I saw a little while ago that has become one of my favorites. It's this idea of, of a handoff uh, yeah. between the veil. Yeah. And, and the painting has hands on both sides and there's kind of white curtains hanging around this baby. And I love, deeply love this idea of a heavenly mother handing one of her children to an earthly mother and saying, I trust you. Yeah. Will you take care of them? Will you try and be like I am? Will you do the things that I taught you to do? Yeah. You look at just divine traits that come and that are are given. I think for a second, what happens if you hand a brand new baby to a teenage boy? (laughs) I've been that teenage boy. Right. (laughs) You're holding that baby and and they're looking at it like, what is this? (laughs) This is so funny. I just have to slip this story in. So when I was serving as bishop, you know, different sisters in the ward would have babies and, you know, the least I would get together and deliver meals where, well, my wife was assigned to deliver meals once and, uh, but she was, wasn't uh, available. So I'm like, I'll just run it over. I'll take the meal over. It's great. And I'm just the type of guy like holding a baby. Like I love holding my kids, but it doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. I'm just like, whatever. Satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. And I get why it is for others. So I I deliver the meal and this sweet sister looks at me and is like, would you like to hold him? And I'm just (laughs) like, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm good, but sure. I'll hold your baby, you know, but anyways, go me (laughs) out. It's, it's funny though. Cause you, yeah. The teenage boy, and they're just like, right. well, yeah. There's a lot of teenage boy in me. How do I? How do I? What do I do? And what happens the second the baby starts crying? He's like, yeah, here, there you go. It's hot right. potato, like, right. yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah. what to do with this. Right. Explain to me then why my four year old daughter knows how to hold a baby. Yeah. Instinctively, naturally, she knows what to do. Mm-hmm. I believe that there's a divine trait, and for lack of a better term, I, I'm going to get beat up over this one, but. <laughs> Could it be that primordially we all had to take classes and the sisters were enrolled in a mothering 101 Hmm. taught by Heavenly Mother? And she developed and instilled in them this desire. Right. Now, granted, that's that's an overgeneralization because there are some women who don't have that, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like they they skip those classes or whatever. We're just we're just talking. We all skipped the patients class, so (laughs) nobody got time. And and I do want to like sit on like as we talk about these division of responsibilities. I really, I mean, our society has sort of diminished the role of mother in a sense, or as if we're, if we're saying a mother should stay home with the kids, as if we're saying, uh, you don't belong out here with the, you know, in the, right. in the real world. But no, no, no. Like, I think it's important as, you know, the fact the family proclamation talks about is these, 
these divine roles that it is in their nature, generally speaking, of nurture and things. But a lot of people, a lot of women can take that as like, oh, like you're diminishing me. Like I can do other things as well. And we don't mean it as a diminishment. It's just as we talk through these things, right? Right. Yeah. There's a power there that once you recognize this is essential, this is a foundational doctrine, it almost becomes liberating to recognize that we have the potential to become like Heavenly Father and like Heavenly Mother. And we're not purposely trying to limit or restrict. We're trying to empower Mm -hmm. and lift and build and bring everyone to the table. Yeah. And really uncover the divine that's in all Every of us, single including one of us. women, yes. right? That, I mean, what if, you know, again, speculating, we get to the, the other side and we realize like that is where our mother in heaven is spending most of our time is nurturing these souls that are coming into mortality and loving them and preparing them. And that emboldens, I feel like women and their role of, of really leaning into that part of their nature, you know, and again, we're generalizing, but it is what it is. I know yeah. that's, it's perfect because yeah. it empowers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this doctrine has done. The, the more that I've been able to share it and talk with individuals about it, it it's empowering. Mm-hmm. When I've done this in in wards and and youth conferences and that kind of stuff, what I normally find is that for most men, including young men, I'll finish this and they'll be like, wow, that was awesome. And you watch kind of the mama's boys who come <laughs> out and they're just like, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. But when I get to see the way that women connect with this, when I watch an adult woman who it's almost a relief for them that they just go, I can't, I, I can do this. I get most impressed though when I watch the young women of the church. Yeah. Anytime that I've had a conversation about this, it's not just a relief for them, it's empowering. And it gives them the ability to say, I can go out and change the world. Mm-hmm. I can go and actually be the type of person that I'm being asked to be because it's within me. Yeah. So I'm curious, like maybe the application of that, how we do that. There's one moment where I was sitting with my daughter in sacrament meeting during the, during the sacrament. I think she was like seven or so. And she leaned over to me, you know, watching the, the deacons do their thing. And they said, dad, when will I be able to do that? And it's like, all right, this is, this is that parenting moment I've been, been training for, right? So, but it's difficult to, you know, and I talked through it, we had a great conversation, but it's easy to say, oh, well, that's for the boys and the priesthood, yada, yada. And so how do we apply that of really like empowering the women and, and the girls in our life to say, there's a feminine divine here that uh, that you should be really excited about. But at church, there's sort of all these, these structured doctrines that right. point towards that exaltation role of the father, right? Yeah. So looking again at the, at the roles of mortality and redemption. Mm-hmm. We find a lot of instruction in the story of Adam and Eve. I find it interesting that there's two trees specifically mentioned in the story. Mm. You've got the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you've got the tree of, of life. Eve is the first to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which brings mortality. Great, beautiful symbolism in that. Mm-hmm. They're then removed from the garden, and they then have to spend the rest of their mortality working their way back to the tree. How do we get back to the tree? It's through the ordinances, and that's administered through the priesthood. Hmm. We watch as Adam and Eve, then as a husband-wife, work together. As she brings souls in, and he works to redeem them through the atonement. Mm -hmm. There's some power in that as we recognize that maybe this mortal phase is a little more priesthood-centered. 
but that in no way, shape, or form diminishes the role that the women play. Mm-hmm. It doesn't devalue my wife. In fact, it ennobles. One of the ways that I, I try to look at it and, and remind myself in the ordinances of the gospel, we do them all individually. So I'm working for my own salvation, baptism, confirmation, the endowment process. They're all personal for me. Mm-hmm. And my wife is doing the same thing on her side as she's working towards that. When we get into the sealing room, every ordinance, every covenant we've ever made is then sealed together in one covenant. This is where you get the moment where uh, President M. Russell Ballard, so this is April 2013, he said, in our Heavenly Father's great priesthood-endowed plan, men have the unique responsibility to administer the priesthood, but they are not the priesthood. Men and women have different but equally valued roles. Just as a woman cannot conceive a child without a man, so a man cannot fully exercise the power of the priesthood to establish an eternal family without a woman. In other words, in the eternal perspective, both the procreative power and the priesthood power are shared by husband and wife. Hmm. Again, Adam and Eve being the instruction here, there's some great symbolism in the creation that woman, Eve, was taken from Adam's rib. And I'll always look at, at youth and say, okay, guys, where's your, where's your ribs? And they'll always point to the front of their chest. Mm-hmm. I say, no, 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 guys, it's side. Yeah. <laughs> and could it be that God was sending a real clear message that woman was not to be in front or behind the man? She was to constantly be at his side. Mm-hmm. Now, again, society kind of muddying the water here is trying to promote one at the expense of the other. Yeah. And I think this doctrine of of placing a husband and wife, an, an eternal God and an eternal goddess side by side, shows that divine potential that one is not greater than the other. We just have different roles and responsibilities, but we're still equal. Yeah. That's really helpful. Any other, obviously we can't unpack all this in a simple podcast episode, but any like general doctrinal points that you found that, that have inspired you in, you know, in this study of Heavenly Mother? Maybe one that I'll point out, it's a hot button issue. We won't get too far into it, but in the uh, family of proclamation of the world, there's a paragraph that says, all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit, son or daughter of heavenly parents. There's that phrase again. And as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. It's right in the family proclamation. We're not hiding it. We're not saying that she doesn't exist. We put it right there in the proclamation. What I found interesting doctrinally is that in the same paragraph where we establish that, the next sentence is, gender is an essential characteristic of individual premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. Hmm. So the conversation that we need to have about gender hinges on this doctrine of the divine male and female. If our eternal identity and purpose was to become like Heavenly Father, gender doesn't matter. Hmm. But where we have the potential to become like Heavenly Father or like Heavenly Mother, gender now matters, premortally, mortally, and eternally. Hmm. So that kind of enhanced my understanding of that conversation that needs to be had a little bit about the roles that gender plays in mortality and that it isn't just a social construct. Yeah. And and I see that like a lot of other denominations are sort of, like you said, they're sort of shorthanded with their their doctrine because they don't have that, the heavenly mother doctrine to turn to that's, you know, we sort of have to you know, shoehorned into this concept of a heavenly 
pointing towards God and Heavenly Father and these things, but we can point towards a, a pair of people Correct. that are divine. And we can look at their relationship to then provide counsel and support for earthly relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's not just this idea that marriage is something we just figure out here in mortality. But I like to think about Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother as a married couple. Yeah. And I've wondered, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one, but I wonder what <laughs> Friday night date night looks like for them. Yeah, sure. Is yeah. Heavenly Father walking through the universe going, you see that galaxy over there? I created that because it reminds me of you. <laughs> oh. I, I think it's it's this idea, but it, yeah, right. it's kind of well, fun. Just like what is, you know, there's going back to, you know, God's progress and obviously he's exalted and he's this perfect being. But what does a you know a Friday night at seven look like for him? You know, what's right. the he's creating still? Is he done creating? But and so just that relationship with the between a, a couple, like what does nurturing in the eternities look like? Right, and that's an interesting dynamic to to sit with. Well, one area I know I fall short when I get home from work, I'm tired, mm-hmm. and I just want to be left alone. And I kind of <laughs> want to have my couple of minutes to sit and yeah. and process and scroll through social media and, and all of that. And, <laughs> but I, I like that in the creation, when we get to day seven, it says that God rested. We're still in day seven. Mm-hmm. His quote unquote rest is providing for his family. Hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it. That's and great. so for now, me as a father, does my definition of rest match his definition? Yeah. And am I actively working for the salvation of my family? Yeah. That's awesome. So this has been really good. And, and just like understanding these, you know, division of responsibility and whatnot, again, we don't understand it fully. And as you can see, I mean, I'm sort of stumbling through as I'm asking these questions or trying to put it all together for myself. And maybe I need to spend some more time here. But the fact that there are great quotes, there's resources, there the the doctrine, gospel topic essays, right? To go to, to start at least sitting with these, this doctrine and saying, we're, it's not that we have it figured out or I can, you know, go ABC down the list of how this all works, but there is, we can say clearly, there is a feminine divine who's our mother in heaven and every girl, every woman can become like her. And that's beautiful. Yes. And lean into that doctrine, lean into that experience. And there's obviously an influence going on with, between you and her me and her, whatever it is, and and sit with that and see, you know, take it to God and see, see where it takes you. Right? Almost kind of stretch our perspective a little bit and yeah. not focus so much just on mortality, but on the eternal plan mm-hmm. and stretching our vision to look at pre-mortal, mortal, and post-mortal. How is she through all of it? And here we are in this tiny little phase called mortality, and we're trying to infer that because in this tiny little phase, we're not talking about her, she doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. We've got to stretch our perspective a little bit and, and see it for what it really is. Yeah. So let's take it in the context of church, yeah. right? Like as a as a bishop or as someone who's run a ward or Relief Society president, like they, they're inspired by these quotes. And, you know, there's this feeling of, you know, making Mother in Heaven's presence or existence more obvious in a Sunday church experience, right? Yeah. Or like I said, you know, even writing a, a manuscript, it's like, all right, where do I, you know, how do I do this? So- what advice would you give to a leader who's like, you know, this is great. Love these quotes. I want to make more of an emphasis on Heavenly Mother in church. But again, where do you draw the line? Or should there even be a line? Is it yeah. necessary to draw a line? President Nelson talks a lot about this defining time that we're in, that we need to develop the ability to receive personal revelation. We need to be mm-hmm. better at that. I think the line, we have to be very careful in trying to draw where that line is. 
because it may be different for each one of us. Yeah. There may be in private conversations where I can go a little further with someone and help something that they're struggling with as it relates to this doctrine. Whereas in a general setting, I may be a little more reserved. Yeah. There may be things that I hold back because maybe somebody isn't ready for it. Yeah. Step number one, this has to burn in our own soul first. We have to have that inside of us. And so I would recommend step number one, you've got to get it inside yourself first. Yeah. Go spend some time with it. Look at the quotes. Again, we're not hiding it. It's, it you just have to spend some time looking for it. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I would say is if we're dealing with like a Relief Society president, a bishop or something like that, I stay firmly rooted in what we do know. And we've had a couple moments here as we've been talking where we've kind of said, well, I can go from A to B. Yeah. And that's I fun, can then right? infer yeah. C. Right. And I think as long as people involved in the conversation are, are looking at that and going, that's a logical conclusion. Right. I think we're still somewhat safe, but it has to start A, it's rooted in scripture. Mm-hmm. B, it's rooted in prophetic teachings. Mm-hmm. And the moment we get outside of those two things, we start to stand on smaller branches and we run the risk of that branch breaking. And so I, I think that the only caution I would give is just be careful. Yeah. Don't say A plus B equals C, therefore X. Yeah. Because there's a lot we still don't know. So be very guarded in the conclusions you do draw. Yeah. And I think we see this modeled really well by, you know, general authorities. And that's what they are is general authorities, right? And so you may think like, well, man, where's all these quotes in general conference or why aren't they talking about it more? They are general authorities speaking to a general audience. And when they step into that role, it's very, I mean, they've got a lose-lose proposition a lot of time. I mean, because it's so hard to talk about specific situations on a general stage. And so they typically stay general with the scriptures and whatnot. They're not rarely, I can't, if ever, do they ever infer something or draw some of these, they're fun to talk about. And maybe as you're with a group of people or, you know, you're talking, even in a Sunday school class, you may infer some things and and you're clear that, I know that's not in the scripture anymore, but that's sort of just where I'm being led in my spiritual journey. I may be wrong, but that's sort of what feels right to me, right? But in these roles as a bishop or at least I president recognize this is somewhat of a general responsibility. And so as you stand and deliver messages, you know, you may want to keep it more general, scripture rooted, Correct. scripture sound, and then allow people to have specific interactions with the divine and not diminish those and just like, wow, well, lean into that. You know, obviously you're having an experience there, see where it leads you. Right. So when I teach this, I'll print out at the end all of the quotes that I've used. Mm-hmm. And I'll provide that to the individuals who are present. But what I don't provide is the commentary in between. Yeah. Because what I want to be careful of is that I don't infer my conclusions to their study process. Hmm. And I want to recreate a moment where they can see, okay, here's every quote that I used. And you can follow the pattern that I went through, but I want you to go have your experience with it. Yeah. And we do that with other doctrines as well, the, the atonement being one of them, that we can spend all day talking about the atonement and the depths and exploring the nuances of it. But yeah. that doesn't matter until I've had a personal experience with it. Yeah. yeah. And so as a Relief Society president, as a bishop, uh, my number one responsibility was to point them to the source that can actually help them. Yeah. And if I can get that connection and have them have a personal experience with it, they're not relying on me anymore. Yeah. No, I love that. And this is a this is a real issue because we live in a world of content. I mean, there's so much content, it's so easy to access. And now and I sometimes see it with, you know, come follow me. It's like, 
all right, what YouTube lesson do you listen to? Which these are great. And I, I consume and listen to them as well. But to make, make space of like, wow, these people have some conclusions or some perspectives on the gospel. Right. I'm going to take that and ponder over it and see what conclusions I can come from. And it gets so easy to walk into a desert book, pick up a book and be like, oh, well, this guy said it and he's pretty, seems to know what he's talking about. So these are my conclusions too. But to step back and say, actually, I'm going to sit with these and find, yeah. you know, engage with with God and see where he leads me with these And things. I would almost propose that we flip the order of that. Yeah. I, where, you for instance, with, with Come Follow yeah. Me, I personally go engage with the scriptures. Yeah. I draw my conclusions. I take the things that I'm learning and then I pull in some of these other things as supplements. Yeah, yeah. And it's I so think much easier the other way, Scott. Right, come on. <laughs> but that create that creates a reliance on them. Yeah, yeah. It's true. And we're all about self-reliance. Yeah. Not just in physical and temporal things, but in spiritual things as well. Have I developed the ability to find those principles and doctrines and pull them out of the scriptures for myself? Yeah. Or am I still dependent on someone else to do it? And I think this this doctrine, this doctrine lends itself that way where I can become dependent on this podcast, or I can I can be dependent right. on the gospel topics essay, or I can go spend some time for myself and get it in me. Right. Yeah, that's so, so powerful, really helpful. Any other quote or thing? I mean, if you want to just run down a list of different quotes, uh, we can, you know, again, we're not going to be able to pick apart each one, but, uh, and w- will you provide a list of these quotes that we can share with the listening audience? Absolutely, Great. I will. Uh, yeah, same thing that we were just talking about. Yeah, you may not put all your, your love, personal confl- conclusions there, but you'll put- I love just quotes. providing the quotes Perfect. and then letting people go have an experience with it. Yeah, awesome. So absolutely, I can do that. Any others um, that you liked? Any other quotes that knocked you over? I have one that we'll end with. It's my absolute favorite. Okay. Von J. Featherstone. This is October 1987. Elder Featherstone at this point said, sometimes misguided women or men direct our youth away from their divinely appointed role. Worlds without end, men will never be able to bear children. Every young woman may be a procreator with God and carry a little one under her breast, either in this life or in the eternal worlds. Motherhood is a wonderful, priceless blessing, no matter what all the world may say. Priesthood ordination is a blessing to men. And then this, there are serious consequences when either motherhood or priesthood is abused or laid aside. We were talking earlier about this idea that uh, society is kind of lending itself to moving away from motherhood. Mm -hmm. And as Latter-day Saints, I think we need to be the champions of motherhood. Yeah. And we have to be careful that we don't become so prescriptive in that moment that we say motherhood is staying home, that we don't become the champion of one version of it, right? but that we recognize that being a mother is a priceless gift. And we need to focus on that and live it the best that we can while we empower and lift everyone else around us, whatever way that's going to look. Think about ministering. And how beautiful this could be that instead of just focusing on, well, did I get my visit this month? Have I done my interview? Have have I checked all of the boxes that I'm supposed to check? If you could convince a sister when you give her that assignment, your job is to help her be the best mother that she can be. Go figure it out. Yeah. To look at a, a priesthood holder and say, your job is to ennoble the, the office of father and mother in that home. And to get the children to follow that, it, your job is to build the family. Now go figure it out and give them some of those guiding principles. I, one of the most stressful things about this presentation 
and I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that there are some sisters listening right now who aren't married or unable to have kids who just their soul longs for this. I hope that they realize in this moment that the promise is there. Elder Featherstone just said it. Every young woman may be procreated with God and carry a little one under her breast, either in this life or in the eternal worlds. And that we have faith, we have confidence, and that we trust that our heavenly parents will do what is best for us. That you have faith that it will happen. It may not look as the traditional, stereotypical family here in mortality, but it will happen. And that we have the confidence in that promise. I remember the very first time that I presented this, sitting on the front row of, of the auditorium where I was, was about seven sisters who were not married. And I watched them as I kept getting into this and the role of mothers and women, mm-hmm. they just sobbed. And I remember feeling in that moment, I missed the mark. The point of this isn't to just say, here's the role of women, here's the role of men, but it's instead to provide hope, to give us a little courage to take maybe another step forward and the ability to trust in these eternal promises. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. This isn't a, we're not trying to double down our roles, right? But it's more of like, of course you, your heart aches for those things because you have divine potential in you. Like you, that is part of your nature. Like your heavenly mother gave that to you. Right. So of course you feel that aching and yeah, that's hard to sort of reconcile in the moments or life situations, but you know, this isn't about like roles or, you know, duties or anything like that, but like uncovering the divine that has always been there. And it just increases faith. It just causes me to lean into this gospel even, even more. Right. Yeah. And that right there, I love that phrase leaning into the gospel because it it requires us to be unbalanced Yeah, in the perspective, not so much unbalanced in the the way that we present things or, but unbalanced in that we lean on the savior. We lean on our heavenly parents. We put our trust, our faith, our strength in them. Yeah. Not in ourselves. Yeah. That's really good. Really good. So this is sort of what I'm taking away, you know, going back to the beginning of our discussion as I'm writing this manuscript and determining you know, which editor to listen to as far as what, whether I put Heavenly Father or Heavenly Mother. And it seems like when it becomes, when I'm talking the context of becoming, like becoming more like God, that would be a good place to put Heavenly Parents because male and female, they are becoming like your Heavenly Parents, right? When it becomes in the context of like what God does for us as far as salvation and, you know, Christ dying for us and these things, that is, that's a clear role as far as, again, I don't know how the mechanics work, but it may be safe to say, to use Heavenly Father or the Savior in those things when it deals with exaltation and sanctification, these things. I don't know if that's completely safe. I that's love what I'm it. learning. It's, there's safety in following patterns. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm working on right now and, and still trying to understand this and, and trying to wrestle with what you're doing, Yeah. there's a spike in the way that the general authorities of the church use Heavenly Parents. Yeah. So part of what I'm studying right now and trying to better understand when do they use Heavenly Father and when do they use Heavenly Parents? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to follow that pattern. Right. And following that pattern rather than try to to blaze a trail of that they Correct. can follow too. That's, they, we they don't want to get ahead of them. the trail yeah. over the last 10 years. Yeah. And just like your research, if we see it ticking up, you know, yep. and, and we can have more opportunity to see how they're modeling the use of this doctrine and, and Heavenly Mother and so forth. And and we'll be safe in, in, in attempting to do that, right? Correct. But I'm just learning like in general, like, 
it's liberating to sort of feel like in these specific interactions or the ways that, you know, lessons are taught, like don't, don't like get nervous if heavenly mother comes up or, Correct. you know, don't run away from it. Yeah. It, it's fine. And there's great quotes and, and these things and, and let that conversation, even if people begin to infer things like they're sort of on this journey and, and let them sort of play around with that for a little bit. Not that we're drawing any conclusions or again, we're not praying to heavenly mother, but make some space for it. Cause there's some, there's an influence from heavenly mother that can be found there. That can be really healing, especially for women. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Anything we're missing? We've done it all. We've done it all. Maybe just one thing, as we talked here at the end about creating hope and having this ability to trust the process. In a BYU devotional dated March 9th, 2010, Glenn L. Pace was the was the speaker. He says this, and oh man, I- This is the home run comment. This is the home okay. run right, right here. Like <laughs> if there's anything that I want to be taken away from this conversation, it's this one quote. Okay. He says this, he says, sisters, I testify that when you stand in front of your heavenly parents in those royal courts on high and you look into her eyes and behold her countenance, any question you ever had about the role of women in the kingdom will evaporate into the rich celestial air because at that moment you will see standing in front of you your divine nature and destiny. Once we're there, once we strip away all of these mortal problems yeah, and we can see it for what it is. I love his phrase that it will evaporate into the rich celestial air. It's just going to disappear and you're going to be perfectly settled, perfectly calm with the way this all played out because standing in front of you is what you're going to be in a matter of moments. And I don't know that we we process that idea of of us becoming eternal gods and goddesses and in possessing all powers, perfections, knowledge, and being able to stand next to my wife and look at each other and say, we did it. I love you. Uh Because that's who we're going to be. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.